Everybody knows somebody who's a bad sleeper. Thank you for joining us on Doorknob Comments, a podcast that we created to discuss all things involving mental health. We take the view that psychiatry is not just about the absence of illness, but rather the positive qualities, presence of health, and strong relationships, and all the wonderful things that make life worth living. I'm Dr. Farah White. And I'm Dr. Grant Brenner. Sleep is such an important thing, and I was glad we had a chance to talk to a sleep expert. Josh Tall is a psychologist, and the interview with him, it's a fun interview. And it's about a serious topic, especially with COVID. People's sleep is all off. One thing I like is as as a clinician, he's really laser focused on Mm -hmm. sleep. Yeah, he has a real expertise in that way and, and a knowledge of like the latest therapies. Kind of wanted to put out there that I think we were talking you know, about things that are pretty standard in our field. For example, the use of medications for different things. And I want to make sure that I didn't come off as like flippant about certain things, specifically sleep medications or medications that people would use to interfere with their sleep. I didn't like mention it in our conversation, but it's a really dangerous thing to use and or misuse medicines and is liable to, to lead to a lot of problems. So what I like about this is we're offering different ways to help treat insomnia and other, you know, non-pharmacological things, uh, interventions that are much less harmful. I think you raise a good point and it's an interesting subject because there's a sense that a lot of times in psychiatry, maybe people are prescribed medications too quickly or too readily. Mm-hmm. And, and that medications, you know, can alleviate symptoms, but generally they shouldn't be prescribed as a fix for a more complex problem. Doctors sometimes will use humor defensively just as everyone else can. And so, you know, maybe there's some discomfort around the way some sleep medications are prescribed very broadly and often, you know, without really understanding what's happening on a more fine-grained level. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that, that the interview with Josh highlights is how important it is to slow down and look at the behaviors around sleep and maladaptive cognitions, you know, ways yeah. of thinking about sleep. Because his approach is fundamentally a cognitive behavioral therapy insomnia approach, yeah. or CBTI. Mm-hmm. And I so appreciate that. I think a lot of the work that he does is to help people get off of, of these medications, which which can be a really difficult thing to do. So I don't know. I guess I just wanted to put that disclaimer out there. Well, we cover a lot of territory. It's not meant as a comprehensive guide to sleep mm-hmm. problems, but we, all, we also think it's a, a fun conversation to listen to. Yeah. And then the other thing is, if people have questions on this topic, they can always, you know, email us. Hello at doorknobcomments.com. We can see if we can have Josh back on again. Yeah, absolutely. And if you have any questions, comments, or requests, Mm -hmm. email us and let us know. Okay, great. Enjoy. Dr. Joshua Tall, you're a psychologist, (laughs) right, on private practice to the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Good afternoon. Thank you, Josh, so much for being here and agreeing to do this. I've wanted to interview you for a really long time, actually. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, because I have some questions, some lingering questions. And Grant, you're more than welcome to jump in. But I feel sleep is kind of a mystery to me. And I'm wondering Mm -hmm. how you sort Mm -hmm. of like got into it and how the field has like evolved and changed. I actually, I got into sleep work 
uh, when I was in college, my parents opened a sleep center. Wow. So it's a good entryway into sleep science. Well, it's a place for disordered sleeping. So it's there to diagnose, you know, sleep apnea, to look at uh, other other issues, teeth grinding, restless leg syndrome. And, a, lot of, uh, a lot of people have those issues. And, and medications obviously can, can cause them too. Uh, you know, antidepressants yeah. can cause teeth grinding and, and so on. A lot of people have these issues. Alcohol actually increases the prevalence of sleep apnea by fourfold. It can cause a lot of issues breathing at nighttime. And in general, sleep apnea is undiagnosed. About 85% of people who have it don't know that they have it. What is sleep apnea? Sleep apnea is where essentially when you're someone is sleeping, they're lying backwards on their back and the, the muscle in your throat basically blocks covers your throat causing you to to hold your breath for 10 seconds or longer causing you to sort of cough yourself awake and to breathe normally again so it's very scary it's very common so someone who has like a severe sleep apnea and diagnosis those events are happening 30 to 40 times an hour yeah. right so it's not just it's normal to have up to five an hour but usually you'll see someone with 10 or 15 i've seen someone with 100 an hour barely even breathing normally. What is the end result of that? Are they just like more tired during the day? Are they, do they have trouble falling asleep? Exactly, yeah, more tired during the day. You have cognitive uh, issues, performing, uh, mm -hmm. using your memory, using concentration. You have a lot of people who have increased risk of diabetes and hypertension and all these different things, it's horrible. Metabolic syndrome. But I noticed also, so when I was working, I used to help the clients uh, when they came and set them up with all these electrodes. And then I'd have to make sure that they were comfortable at nighttime and that they, they didn't get tangled up in the wires, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so I had to ruin my sleep staying up all night to help <laughs> their sleep, you know? Shift work. Did you work so there growing up? Did you like work there as a teenager? Like, no, they, they only opened it when I was in college. So um, I, I helped them when they started it. And I worked there when I was home for the summers. I'd work there. So and I would manage projects from afar as well. It was fun. It was fun because uh, it was an interesting field. And uh, I also noticed right, that people that had insomnia or issues with insomnia with uh, a circadian rhythm issue were largely sort of ignored. They were told to take a pill. And that just and didn't fly with you. Huh? That didn't fly with me. Yeah. You were not down with that. I was not down with that. I was outraged. Uh, I, I'm there with you. I mean, people come in and our culture is kind of, you know, take a pill. And hey, that's it. You know, yeah. I'm a psychiatrist. I prescribe medications, but I'm fairly conservative. I try to be thorough. And it's, it's yes. very easy to make a judgment call too fast. I thought even with people with sleep apnea, they have trouble concentrating. I bet a lot of people come in and they think they have ADHD. ADD. Mm -hmm. Right? And you're like, Correct. well, how's your sleep? Probably stimulants, they probably improve sleep quality or make it worse? What, what's your experience? <laughs> well, it depends on timing, right? Stimulants have a longer, a longer than average half-life, right? Who wants to stay in the bloodstream a long time? Stay in the, yeah, they'll stay in the bloodstream a long time. So I will sometimes get clients who will come to see me and they'll say, 
something's wrong with my sleep. Well, yeah. And then I take my last Adderall dose at five o'clock <laughs> and I'm like, well, there's our, there's the issue. That's yeah. the culprit. The Adderall XR at five it o'clock. Yeah. yeah. And a, a lot of but, people work at night though. So they're kind of like, well, what do you do if you do have ADHD exactly. and you don't want to like take a pill to come down off the Adderall. Exactly. And then, and like you were saying also, when we're talking about anti-anxiety medicine, benzodiazepines, those are really bad for sleep apnea. Yeah, what do they do to sleep? Number one, you'll see more relaxed muscles. Oh, so yeah. you'll see more more sleep apnea events. Is it like with alcohol? For people with, like with alcohol, yeah. Number two, you'll see that there's an increased incidence of anxiety and depression as a result of the apnea. Uh, that when you're taking the benzodiazepines, you also see that there's like increased uh, sleep spindles in the sleep architecture, what are called beta intrusion. Meaning it's like you'll see wakefulness intrusion within the sleep waves. It's like the brain is not fully asleep at not night. fully asleep, yeah, exactly. Dolphins do that, don't they? Like I, I heard that half a dolphin's brain half is awake brain, and half yeah. is asleep. Is that true? That's what I hear, yeah. People don't do that though. We just don't sleep right. And then you wake up tired and then you can't function and then you yeah, get exactly, depressed yeah. and, you, and you're irritable. You can't deal with your emotions. Yep. You need to mm -hmm. eat carbs just to get through the day. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's it's really bad. How do people usually get to you? Because um, my, my experience is, as you were saying, a lot of times there's different kinds of sleep apnea. There's a lot of different sleep disorders. Apnea is a common one. And a lot of times it, it isn't picked up. Like how would they know? So to that's a great question. There are some telltale signs that I look for that I can teach you now. In my insomnia practice, around almost 30% who think they have insomnia actually have a sleep apnea. It's very high. The signs that you want to look out for, so someone tells you that they have broken, interrupted sleep and that they sleep eight or nine hours, but they really don't feel rested. Mm -hmm. And to, to the point that they're falling asleep in meetings or... When, when they're a passenger in a car or something like that, you know? And then you'll also hear someone with sleep apnea say that they snore and they've woken themselves up snoring or that someone has, their partner says that they've, that they wake themselves up, they choke in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. That's one that so many times, like they'll tell it, they'll say it out loud and like laugh it off. And I'm so shocked. Like they'll be like, yeah, I remember that time that he almost choked and we thought he was dead. Yeah, wasn't that hilarious? And they're saying it out loud, and I'm like, like, hello, do you hear what you just what you, what you just said? <laughs> like, uh, you know, they need it. They need to. They have to come to the provider and say it in front of the provider to to realize that it's a reality. You know? Yeah, those are usually the signs. Maybe also not remembering your dreams. That's one too. If you feel really like, feel like yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. Like you haven't had you haven't dreamt for a long time. It's not, it's not like every case is 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 that, but that's a, that's a sign. Like because people don't get into a deep enough state of sleep. Right. Yeah. Well, REM sleep actually your muscle tone turns off, so there's very high incidences of apnea during REM sleep. That's usually when it's the highest. Ah. At nighttime, yeah. And then sometimes you'll see, yeah, like oh, I wake up at two o'clock every day, and then I, I sleep very lightly from two to five. Because that's usually when there's the highest incidence of REM sleep is in the, the last third of the night. Well, I definitely have apnea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so obviously that, you know, the treatment for that is different 
you know, from the treatment that you do, right? Yes. So the treatment for apnea, there are a few, there are a few avenues. I don't do any of them. So the first one would be CPAP, continuous positive airway pressure, which is a, a machine that has a very, a very high tech actually machine, breathing air blowing machine with these super comfy masks that are light as a feather, like a pillow. They're just like a pillow that's resting on your nose. It's just it's so light and so light and feathery and comfortable. No, I'll tell you, there's that they actually they're really high tech the the machines. Like they're they really they try to make it as comfortable as possible. And then with a few tweaks like getting the right kind of pillow or a couple of different things, you can make it really comfortable. The right kind of mask. It can be life-changing for people it's, in a very positive it way. It can be so life-changing. I've had people tell me like, oh my God, I like, I used to drink four cups of coffee a day. Now I drink only one and like, I feel so alert and like, it's insane. And what's amazing about it is that sleep apnea is one of the only chronic illnesses that has a treatment that's 100% efficacious. Like, can you think about that for a second? Anyone who uses a CPAP and uses it correctly, and they literally, they have ones that auto-titrate that make sure that they're giving you the exact right amount of air based on how much you're, how well you're breathing. And it will get rid of 100% of the events. You will have perfect, amazing sleep. Isn't that crazy? Oh, that's amazing. That's like a lock pick, you know? Yeah, it's crazy, but it's just really uncomfortable. It has low compliance. So it's like 40% of people with a CPAP machine will use it for four hours or more. That's the metric they had to use was four hours to even just get to even get the compliance, like even, even to a respectable. And then, but there are also now that, you know, there are mouth devices for moderate insomnia, for moderate apnea. And then there's also, there's like a heart make, uh, like a pacemaker device for severe apnea. So there's, there are options. There are different options. Well, the CPAP machine is, what is that? Continuous positive airway pressure? Yes. Yeah. So, so like essentially it, it blows air under pressure. So it keeps, it keeps the throat inflated, right? Exactly. But they, so, they're very adaptive. So when you breathe out, it can tell that you're breathing out. So it won't, it won't, it won't blow air when you're breathing out, but then it will <laughs> blow air when you're breathing in, you know? Like yeah. No, no, it's remarkable. I'm, I'm, ha I'm laughing because I'm having flashbacks uh -oh. uh, to when I was a general surgical resident. We had to manage ventilators in the intensive care unit and a CPAP oh, machine, yeah. sort of like a ventilator, though, um, there, there was a little bit of a debacle about that early on in COVID, you know, because some of the ventilators were actually CPAP machines, no. you know, if you remember that. But it is very technologically sophisticated. And yeah, if properly managed, right, can be a game changer. But you're saying that even even under the best of circumstances, people don't use them as much as they, they maybe they ought to. Right. It's, it's true. Yeah. Okay. It's very true. But, but there are options, so... Never give up. Never give up. So even I, I that I have worked with clients who've had claust, like sort of claustrophobia with the masks, and we've done desensitization work. Like little by little, getting used to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But that's Very not your main job. thing. What 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 are the no. main things that you treat? I usually treat insomnia. That's what that's what people usually see me for i use cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia as my vehicle what does that look like like if i were to come in 
and say, you know, I'm having a lot of trouble, I'm having anxiety and a lot of trouble falling asleep at night. You know, where would where would you start with? Yeah. So so usually someone with insomnia, what what happens is, and they come to see me, they say, you know, they ha- they've had a bunch of nights where they can't sleep. And so they start to worry about their sleep and then that compounds the issue. They're worrying about sleep and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because the worrying about sleep keeps you awake. Uh, When you worry about anything, it keeps you awake. So I'm like, oh no, this is going to be another one of those nights where I just toss and turn and... Yeah. So how many times a, a day would would the average does the average person think about sleep average maybe once or twice how many times did you think farah did you think today about your sleep you know um i don't know a couple times like right regular yeah. sleep or beauty sleep yeah, <laughs> beauty sleep for me. for me sleep serves a lot of different purposes so um i do think about it like you know, just here and there. But so, I, t- I take your point. I, I don't worry how I'm going to sleep tonight most right. of the time. Well, so no, that's I'm really preoccupied. With insomnia, someone will come to me and they'll say, I think about it all day, like a, a, over a hundred times a day, right? Where in the morning, I'll think about how did I do last night? What were the issues? Like, what can I... Like, uh, how is it going to affect me? And then that night, I'll be thinking, and get towards the evening, I'll be thinking about what's my next night going to be like? Like, all the, all those kinds of questions. Imagine that. People, yeah. people get nervous about, like, illnesses. And, and then they used to call it hypochondria. Now it's called illness anxiety disorder. It, it sounds almost like you could have an insomnia anxiety disorder. Well, it's worse than that because the mere thought... I might not sleep tonight or I have an insomnia disorder becomes an automatic self-fulfilling prophecy once you ask it enough times. Right. It, 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 there's, it's inevitable. There's no other solution, basically. It, it causes the problem you're trying to solve. Do people get scared to go to sleep? Oh, yeah, totally. That's not common. I'd say that's more rare. And even even without trauma... I mean, let's definitely with trauma, you'll have like scared of the nighttime and and a sort of a vigilance build up. But but I have people that are actually just develop such a bad bad experience with sleep. It's just it, it it's just a nightmare, and they they actually fear it. They actually, as the nighttime comes, they the the stress builds up as if as if it was a catastrophe. You know, it's a like a form of torment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How do you go about managing it? So then, right, the other piece of the puzzle is, imagine an experience where somebody is sitting and tormenting over something over and over and over and over again in bed, right? Not only that, like everyone and their mother are telling you to do things, do to try something. Sleeping issues are, are low stigma mental illness that you can talk about yeah right so everyone talks about sleeping issues everyone knows someone that has it and everyone everyone recommends something oh you have to try magnesium oh you have to try melatonin oh you have to try going to bed earlier quick fix yeah does that bother you no it doesn't bother me because 
usually the people that come to see me, halavai, I, you know, I wish it worked more often, then people wouldn't need to see me. And then, you know, I could move on to something more complicated, you know? <laughs> Like uh, something it's like, a little sexier, yeah. You know? Yeah, you know, yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, uh, but no, that it doesn't work, and then it reinforces this idea that like my sleep is broken. Like I have an insomnia disorder. Mm-hmm. It's like a it becomes a pathology. It becomes like an identity. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's a narrative. It's like a it's an it's an ego. Oh, I see. Like, um, there's a like a masochistic element. So, what what I hear you saying is that sleep takes on sleep problems take on a life of their own for people, and yes. almost like takes over their hijacks their life. It's very sad. There's this feeling like like a, even a baby can sleep. I yeah. can't sleep. It's so basic. So, what are some of the basic things? So, that do what have? I do, I call it sleep boot camp. You know, whip your sleep into shape. First of all, the treatment's hard, so I want to desensitize people. Like I'm, I say to them, this isn't, this is not a, this is, a, this is a hard uh, treatment. Mm-hmm. Short-term pain, long-term gain. Okay. Five to eight sessions. It's a horrible business model because everyone keeps getting better. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's like about. 85 to 90 percent of clients will get at least an hour of sleep or more but that's that's in the research in my practice it's been the same thing they set a goal for themselves in the beginning i want to you know increase the quality of my sleep and feel more rested you know most nights and then 85 percent are reaching their goal it's amazing it's an amazing treatment well what makes it so hard what are the the pain points Part of the boot camp is what's called sleep restriction, which is a horrible name. So people essentially, they reduce the amount that they sleep in order to do what? So it goes back to Pavlov, classical conditioning. It goes back to the idea that if you're spending a lot of time in bed, not sleeping, your body learns that the bed is a place not to sleep. Yeah, I usually so, look at spreadsheets in bed. <laughs> right. No, I'm serious. People do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah totally. Do that. I'm kidding, but it's true. It's true, no. People do it. Because you have and laptops what, and you've got phones. Um, yeah. And so what ends up happening is that the bed becomes a place that's associated with staying awake. So we cannot have a situation where we're in bed and we're anxious. We're really doing anything besides sleeping. Right. So we it's a it's a boot camp where we're really just retraining the bed just from a pure stimulus perspective. We want to see an increase in the percentage of time that you're in bed. When you're in bed, you're sleeping. Done. And if you're if you're not sleeping, then you're not in bed. I see. That's why you call it boot camp, because there's a kind of a discipline that's required to make it work. There's a discipline. It's self. So. And that's another thing that scares people about it is that they think, well, you know, I'm going to have to change my sleep forever and always do this. And that's not the case. The, I call it a boot camp because it's a discrete period of time. I'm going to do the boot camp and then I'm going to I'm going to go back to living. And that's what, how the sleep treatment is as well. You do this, the sleep treatment and then you can reintroduce all the quote unquote bad behaviors and see what affects your sleep and what doesn't affect your sleep. It almost sounds like a reboot. Exactly. But if it were that simple, people could do it themselves. And we know, we know that people have difficulty doing it. That's why they need your help, right? Like 
I'll tell you what it is. It's actually, it's, it's working with a provider. Part of what I do is just, I'm just there to say, no, 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 that's normal. You're okay. You know, that's it. That's part of a part of my job because what ends up happening there are times where you all of a sudden have a bad night and it's really scary and you're like, what the heck is happening right now? Like I thought I was doing well and now I'm, and that you can spiral so many different ways. So I'm there to help, help tweak the sleep and the protocol matches the experience. And then the rest, that's what's amazing about the treatment as an exposure, you know? So for example, uh, when you're doing like, let's say, an exposure treatment for spiders, arachnophobia, fear of spiders. You could have a situation where the spider ends up like biting the person and it's really scary, you know? It's sort of like, don't panic, but you know, obviously much more subtle and sophisticated because, okay, you're going to feel some anxiety, but that's okay. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Well, with sleep, there's a a fear that I'm going to have insomnia forever and like I'm never going to fall asleep. I'm going to be tired and it's going to ruin everything. And that's just not physically possible because you always, always will fall asleep eventually. And if it's positioned and it's framed correctly, you can use that as a, a moment of strength to to then reclaim your sleep so that you can now integrate it into your life where it's not the center of your life. You sleep to live, right? Not live to sleep. You've shrunk it down to proportion. This This idea that reassurance is a really important part of it. I'm also wondering, especially now with the pandemic, like, have you seen a change in sleep disorders and, or has it become harder or easier to treat? You said the new term, is it COVID somnia? Yeah, that's what they're calling it. They're seeing, I don't know if there's any actual research on it, but. What is COVID somnia? I believe it's that we're seeing like increased incidences of 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 disturbed sleeping that can be traced back to the COVID period or something related to COVID-19. Because we know that in general, when there's an active stressor, it's hard to sleep, right? Because your sympathetic nervous system is activated. Your body says, I need to deal with this imminent danger. I can't sleep. And so COVID is is just a chronic imminent danger. It uh, can can really tax the, 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 the anxiety, insomnia mm-hmm. system. Like it doesn't make sense to go to sleep because I got to stay awake in case something happens. I should be prepared, yeah. vigilant. But it's and a chronic this, stress. With the political crises too. Yeah. yeah. Same, same kind of thing. There's a fair amount of apocalyptic thinking. Yeah. Right. Um, both in terms of politics and disease as well. So is the treatment for that any different? Well, it's hard because if somebody is going through an active COVID-related emergency, I wouldn't recommend doing the, the active treatments. There will be an increase in, in disturbed sleeping as a sort of initial side effect of the medic of the treatment. Yeah. And so you don't want it to ever right coincide with like a known upcoming stressor, that kind of thing. So you have to sort of time it. Do you tell people like, hey, yeah, like after your wedding and then we'll work Yeah, on- or there exactly or if there's a vacation. Mm-hmm. Same kind of thing because you want to treat treat the sleep when it's the normal conditions. But also with COVID related fears, there's a general shift where it's you say you know, it's true. It's it is it is a dangerous time. And has it made your job a little tougher or more complicated? I don't think so. That's the good thing about 
cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is that it usually works no matter what, no matter the cause or, yeah. you know, if it's happening at the same time as another diagnosis. Great. I mean, I think it's super interesting. I, we had just wanted to chat with you a little bit, just casually about some of like the I don't know, are there any sleep myths that come to mind that you like want to dispel? So that it's important to prioritize sleep. It's not that they've shown that you can't catch up on the weekends. If you're, you know, having bad sleep every night during the week, you know, just not leaving enough time for sleep, then mm -hmm. it can lead to some long-term issues. The, the nights where I'm not sleeping well, there's actually important stuff on my mind. And I don't always follow good sleep hygiene and kind of wait quietly till I'm tired. Though, I mean, fundamentally, that's what I'll do. But I'll often take that opportunity to, to journal or that's to really figure idea. out kind of what's on my mind. That's a good idea. But it often means being up for later and longer than maybe um, if I just, yeah. you know, sat quietly until I got tired again. Yeah. Just make but, sure you're journaling outside the bed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we don't want to associate the journaling with the with the sleep experience, you know. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, what do you do with people who are like hooked on their phones and yeah. you know texting late at night or you know scrolling Instagram? You know, it's a it's a matter of uh, motivation, right? If someone wants to change their sleep. They, then that's a place you can start. So you have people that come to you for treatment, but they're still unable to like put the phone down. Well, people also use their phone as a sleep aid, I think. Like they'll listen to binaural beats or like a meditation podcasts. tape. Yeah. What, what do you think about these things like blue light and kind of ways to, to mitigate it for people who can't sort of practice abstinence? So if you have a circadian rhythm issue, meaning your timing is off, your sleep timing. They're sleeping enough, but at the wrong time of day. The wrong time, yeah, exactly. So that's when you would want to be really careful about blue light. So you'd want to make sure to block it in the evening time. I see, so their sleep clock is not thrown off by the light exposure. When people say they can't sleep, but when you start to talk to them, you know, it's like they actually don't want to go to sleep. Exactly. Right. But not because they're like they have fear of insomnia, you know, or nightmares or anything like that. But they like staying up. They like yeah. staying up for, you know, lots of or different because reasons. Also, I've had people that feel guilty and they want to, that they like don't deserve sleep. Can, yeah. can you say more about that? It's like a it's a privilege to sleep. And and because they're they're sort of uh they, like they, they have a lot of things to do and they have to finish all their duties and maybe they didn't finish everything and you don't deserve to sleep so you have to sort of push it off until later and get less sleep. But not necessarily like actively punishing oneself. No, it's like passive. It's like unconsciously passive, like that kind of thing. So they'll just do another Netflix and, another, and just sort of zone out, you know, dissociate or guilt about sleeping in. I see that one a lot. Like where, being where unproductive. Like, yeah being unproductive. I'm just like my dad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had some other thoughts. I was trying to catch a hold of something to do with the staying up late because I think so many people want to stay up late. And I, I wonder how you would address that because so sometimes when I've used more cognitive behavioral approaches, 
I've reached a point where it gets into another area, which is sort of like, like we said, I, I kind of want to stay awake. And so, uh -huh. you know, someone comes to you and they're like, help me sleep. But as you were saying, maybe there's a, like a feeling like I'm quote unquote being naughty. Okay. So growing up, you know, I didn't want to yeah. go to bed. I didn't listen to my parents. I stayed up all late, late at night, you know, sort of what are the obstacles that you run into when you try to treat insomnia with a more structured approach? It's always a measure of motivation, right? If they're saying, I have no desire to change, you know, then, then you have to wait until that desire comes. You can't cause the desire. Like necessity is the mother of invention. There um, you go. And a lot of a lot of people's lifestyle and habits sort of corner them into yeah. hitting some kind of bottom where they have to change. D do you use motivational interviewing? Yes, exactly. That's that's mm -hmm. the that's my, the main area. It, it sometimes it's hard because it's it's uh, it's very non-directive and it takes a long time. But usually, that's one of the the nice things about having a, a private practice that does not take insurance, right? Where most of the clients I see are going to be uh, highly motivated and highly invested in the treatment, just like they're invested, they're monetarily investing in it. So they're also going to be emotionally invested. So, so usually the people that come to see me, they've tried everything. They 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 do not have any ambivalence about changing. They they just want to they want to change their sleep. So I don't really need to do very much motivational interviewing. But I could see if you're a generalist uh, or working with trauma and then a sleep issue comes, it can probably be hard to build up that interest in, in making changes, you know, with medication or things like that. Yeah, I see what you mean. It's a different context. I'm curious, I'm sure it's it's always interesting to people what does actually sleep do? I mean, what? why do we need sleep? No one's actually clear on exactly why we sleep. Like we know what happens if you don't sleep. We know, so we know that, for example, as we use energy, our body has this byproduct called adenosine. And when we have a large buildup of adenosine, we become more tired, more drowsy. And then when we sleep, the adenosine gets lowered. Mm -hmm. and the drive to sleep lowers. So the more you sleep, the more your adenosine lowers. That That is one reason we sleep, is to clear out this sort of uh, waste byproduct mm -hmm. of expending energy. We also know that our temperature goes gets lowered. They've done studies to show that the body cools down during sleep in order to make sure it doesn't overheat during the daytime. Like that's the that's one of the means of uh, staying at the right uh, temperature mm -hmm. and to that we regulate our temperature. Uh, we also know that sleep is important for memory consolidation. We know that sleep is important for your muscle muscle recovery. It's good for so the body too, not just for the, the brain. body. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. It's, we just it's, we know it's good for a whole host of different things. Thank you. Was there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't ask you about, or? No, this was great, guys. I'm so happy you're covering sleep. You know, uh, like re recently, a couple of years ago, the American Academy of Physicians set changed the the first line recommendation for presentation of insomnia is no longer sleeping pills. Mm -hmm. It's CBT for insomnia. 
but you know, not, not enough doctors know about it. And sleeping pills are still routinely given. I, I agree. And culturally, it's a big part of self-care. Sleep is one of the most important mm. things. Sleep, nutrition, mm. exercise. When you go to the drugstore, there's tons of sleep aids. They're homeopathic oh, yeah. and, you know, Benadryl. And they, they, don't, they don't necessarily give you good quality sleep. Mm -hmm. um, but we should definitely say a couple of words about our guest today. Thank you, Dr. Joshua Tall. Uh, Dr. Tall can be found at drjoshuatall.com. Are you doing virtual therapy now? Yeah, only virtual now due to the pandemic, but uh, maybe one day soon I'll be back in the office. That would be, that would be really nice. Yeah. It's hard on everyone. Um, some, some folks more than others, but definitely if you're having trouble sleeping and you're ready to change, Dr. Tall's yes. sleep boot camp has a very high success rate and he would be happy to speak with you for a free 10 minute phone consultation. And again, you can find him at drjoshuatall.com. Yes. Be in touch, everyone. Let's get you sleeping again. You snooze, <laughs> you, snooze you win. <laughs> we'll have a good one, guys. Thanks All for, right, you thanks too. for having we'll me. Talk Thank soon. you. Talk thanks. soon. Okay. okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.